Later that year, Dr. King brought his anti-war message to the Mike Douglas Show, where he defended his views against some surprisingly tough questions from the affable host. And an equally unlikely adversary, singer Tony Martin. Here is Dr. King in his historic appearance, which seems remarkably relevant after 40 years. Tony, our next guest is the, is the winner of the Nobel Prize for Peace and perhaps the foremost spokesman for uh, the nonviolent faction uh, in the American Negro Civil Rights Movement. Now, his recent speeches and sermons urging Negroes not to fight in Vietnam have initiated a verbal argument among prominent Negroes that threatens to split the civil rights movement wide open. Would you please welcome a very outstanding and controversial gentleman, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I said, I said to Dr. King, I want to put you right in the middle. I wasn't thinking. You've been put in the middle quite, quite often, haven't you? I'm starting right. Dr. King, why did you decide to urge Negroes not to fight in Vietnam? Well, I think my view has uh, been a little distorted at that point. I haven't only urged Negroes not to fight. Uh, I feel that the war is so unjust, so abominable, so futile and bloody and costly that no, nobody should be fighting there. I haven't limited my concern to just the American Negro, although I know we are dying in disproportionate numbers there, and uh, we are on the losing end both there and at home, because as long as the war in Vietnam continues, our social problems will inevitably suffer here at home. Well, don't you think that your remarks have created doubts about the Negro's loyalty to his country? Well, some people may feel that. I don't think our loyalty to the country should be measured by our ability to kill. I think our loyalties to the country should be measured by our ability to lead the nation to higher heights of democracy and to the great dream of justice and humanity. Do you, do you honestly feel, uh, Dr. King, that the war in Vietnam could be stopped now without harm to this country? Well, there are two ways to deal with it. Uh, one is a unilateral withdrawal. Uh, I don't oppose that because uh, I feel that this is a possibility. After all, France withdrew unilaterally from Algeria, withdrew without a military victory. Mm -hmm. And this did not lessen France's prestige or influence in the world. If anything, it increased its prestige but in France the world. is not the power that this country is. Well, I think that's an even greater reason why uh, we should restrain our power. Uh, there's always the danger that any nation will abuse its power. And uh, I think our power must be much more than military power. We don't need to prove to the world or anybody our military power. I think we've got to prove our moral power. Do now. you feel that this nation has abused, uh, as you say, uh, their power? Oh, I certainly do in the, in the war in Vietnam. I have no doubt about that. I'm not saying that it was done uh, with evil motives in mind. I think we made a huge miscalculation. And when you make a mistake, you ought to confess it. One of the great things about President Kennedy was that he said to the world, to his closest advisors, that he made a mistake in the Bay of Pigs invasion oh, yes. in Cuba. And he said, I never should have listened to the experts. And I think the time has come now for... 
our leaders to say that we've made a grave mistake in Vietnam and we ought to take the initiative in bringing an end to this conflict, if not through a unilateral withdrawal, at least through a negotiated settlement. And I think there are things that we can do to create the atmosphere for negotiation. You know, uh, Dr. King, my first question, when you said uh, uh, it was, uh, you didn't say it was inaccurate, but you said it was a misunderstanding that you didn't advise just Negroes not to fight in Vietnam. But I think it was interpreted that way. Now, uh, how about the heroic uh, Negroes already in Vietnam? Uh, don't your remarks belittle their accomplishments? Oh, not at all. Uh, I have nothing but admiration for the bravery of those uh, who are engaged in the kind of sacrificial and suffering situation uh, that they are in. I'm not dealing with uh, their particular situation in terms of fighting. I'm trying to do something, uh, trying to lead us somewhere that will bring an end to what I see as a terrible and a very tragic war, which is damaging the image of our nation here and abroad. Doctor, may I ask you a question? Yes. Uh, don't you feel that perhaps the parents of, of the boys who are now currently in the operation in Vietnam might uh, not be in uh, amity with your civil rights movement now because of the... I doubt that. I doubt that very seriously. Uh, I can't uh, overestimate the amount of discontent in the Negro community over the war in Vietnam. Uh, I haven't seen any loss of support in the Negro community. As I don't mean just in the Negro community. I mean there are many many of the Caucasians who are with your civil rights movement as well. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering if you're not disingratiating yourself, how you feel about those who have their sons in Vietnam now. Well, there again, I think two things are important here. Uh, first, I think that uh, the things that I'm saying and the things that I'm trying to do and all of the people in the move peace movement are trying to do are really geared toward uh, bringing the boys back home. In other words, we are trying to prove to be their best friends by uh, doing something to bring about the climate that will bring an end to this war. Uh, secondly, anyone who is committed to civil rights would not withdraw that commitment as a result of uh, someone in the civil rights movement taking a stand against the war in Vietnam. And if they do, then they were not with it in the beginning. You stand up for what is just because it is just and right. Uh, I think it was T.S. Eliot who said, there's no greater heresy than to do the right thing for the wrong reason. That's right. And a lot of people do the right thing for the wrong reason. And I submit that anyone who would stop supporting civil rights because of a stand against the war on the part of some leaders ended up doing the right thing for the wrong reason. They were never truly committed to civil rights in the beginning. Truly committed to civil rights in the beginning. Dr. King, Carl Rowan, our former ambassador to Finland, has said that uh, your statements against uh, Negro participation in the war have, and I, and I quote, alienated many of the Negro's friends and armed the Negro's foes. Now, what is your comment on that statement? But I'm sorry to have to disagree very vigorously with uh, uh, Mr. Rowan on that. I go back to the same uh, statement that uh, people who have been alienated as a result of this 
stand against the war were alienated anyway. Uh, many people supported us in civil rights when we were in Selma or Birmingham because they were against the brutality of a Bull Connor, uh, Jim Clark, and they were deeply outraged about these things. Uh, and they supported us because they were against that brutality, not because they were for genuine equality for the Negro. And uh, if anybody's been alienated, it's been because they were really not absolutely committed to the idea of genuine equality for the Negro. And any little excuse that comes along, they will use that. But the basic thing is that they were not committed anyway. This equality for the Negro that you mentioned, how much longer are the Negro people willing to wait for this equality, which is certainly do them? Well, uh, the mood in the Negro community, as you no, is a mood of uh, great disappointment and despair and even bitterness as a result of the slow pace of progress and as a result of the fact that in some instances things have gotten worse, particularly in the economic area. And I think the uh, impatience is very deep and uh, the discontent is very broad. And if something isn't done with haste, to remove the intolerable conditions that exist in our communities all over the nation, then I see us sinking into darker nights of social disruption. Doctor, do you believe that your remarks have put a strain on the relations of the civil rights movement? Do you believe so? Well, not, uh, not really. As I said, uh, many people, white and Negro, are deeply opposed to the war in Vietnam. Interestingly enough, when I first spoke out against the war, only 21% of the American people were against it. Both the Gallup and the Harris polls reveal now that the majority of Americans are against the war in Vietnam. Some 48% are now opposed to the war in Vietnam. 10% remain undecided. And you have about 42% who are still in favor. So you have a majority opposed to the war in Vietnam. And I haven't seen the great opposition uh, to my position that uh, so many people would state. The other thing is that a man of conscience can never be a consensus leader. He doesn't take a stand in order to search for consensus. He's ultimately a molder of consensus. And I've always said that the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and moments of convenience, but where he stands in moments of challenge and moments of controversy. And I would take this position even if I didn't have the majority of people agreeing with me now. Using your feeling about unilateral and the way France settled, which mm -hmm. was very well done, they didn't lose face. Apparently, face is the important thing at this time. But not only are we losing face, but it would be better to save lives. We know that. Mm -hmm. Who will be the GOAT if someone takes upon themselves to end this war and settle it unilaterally? Will there be a constant complaint? What a big waste this one. Will this set a precedent for the United States in the future of defending our inheritance, our independence? Well, I think we have to look at several things here. First, in my mind, peace is much more important than face. And I think there has to be a transformation in terms of our thinking uh, and in terms of, of peace. We've got to come to see now that peace must not only be a goal that we talk about and seek, 
but a means by which we arrive at that goal. The other thing is this, that even though the mood of the country may not be in line with the unilateral withdrawal now, I think there are things that can be done to bring about a negotiated settlement. Now, there are many people uh, who have talked very closely with the leaders of North Vietnam and the National Liberation Front who tell us if we bring about an unconditional halt in the bombings, this would get talks going. Uh, our government has refused to do that. And I feel that since we took the initiative in escalating the war in the air and on the land and on the seas, then we have a moral obligation to take the initiative uh, to de-escalate it, and I think we can do that by bringing about a halt to the bombings. And our security is Do you think, do you think that that would do it, by halting the bombing? Would that do it? Well, as I would said, about I, I can only go by men like you, Tom, uh, the Russian leaders, and many other people who have talked very closely with uh, the leadership of North Vietnam and the National Liberation Front. I think we ought to try it anyway. I think we ought to bring about an unconditional halt uh, to the bombings, and we should do that for practical reasons in terms of trying to get talks started, and I think we should do it for moral reasons. They are never going to negotiate as long as we are bombing that territory. How about your relationship with uh, President Johnson? Have you lost favor with uh, Mr. Johnson? Well, I guess the president would have to answer that question. Uh, I have taken a position against the administration's policy, and uh, I would hope that the president means what he says when he uh, says that there should always be room for dissent. And we come to a tragic period in our nation when we equate dissent with disloyalty. Uh, I believe firmly uh, that uh, it is necessary to have these moments of dissent in order to challenge something that may be leading the whole nation you, down the wrong do path. Do you care if you have lost favor with Mr. Johnson? Well, that isn't, uh, I guess, the most important thing to me. The important thing is that I not lose favor with truth and with what conscience tells me is right and what conscience tells me is just. I'm much more concerned about keeping favor with these principles than keeping favor with a person who may misunderstand the position I take. We will talk further with Dr. Martin Luther King following these messages. We'll be right back. Dr. King, if I may, I found this in this morning's paper. Negroes hail results of Dr. King's policy. Berkeley, California, more than four out of five American Negroes believe the nonviolence of Dr. Martin Luther King has done the most to help their race, a study reveals. But about half of the same Negroes interviewed for a University of California study believe riots have done some good. Findings which include interviews with 1,119 Negroes were released in a book titled Protest and Prejudice. Author Gary T. Marks, now assistant sociology professor at Harvard University, reports the majority of Negroes seem to direct their hatred and anger toward the system of evil and those who support it not, not, not indiscriminately against all whites. Can you comment on that article? Yes, I uh, am very interested in hearing that. I, I hadn't read the article and I hadn't... Uh, read the book. In fact, I wasn't aware of it. But I think uh, it is true that the vast majority of Negroes uh, feel that the best way to resolve the problem is uh, to work through peaceful, nonviolent means uh, and, and militant nonviolence, but not through uh, violence. Now, on the question 
of whether riots have helped, uh, I've taken the position that uh, riots are socially destructive and self-defeating, and therefore I have to take a stand against it because of my deep commitment uh, to nonviolence. On the other hand, I do think a riot is the language of the unheard. Uh, and America has failed to hear, for instance, that the plight of the Negro poor has worsened over the last 10 or 15 years. I think it has also failed to hear that uh, large segments of white society are more uh, committed uh, to tranquility and the status quo than to justice and humanity and equality. And in that sense, I think the riots have called attention to something. Not that they have brought about social transformation, but they've called attention to a very serious problem uh, in our society. But I couldn't say that they have been helpful in the sense of really bringing about structural change. I haven't seen any basic change that has come through riots. The changes that uh, we have made and the changes that we've seen over the last 10 or 12 years have come through powerful watershed nonviolent movements. Well, have the um, militant leaders taken over the civil rights movement, in your opinion? Well, there again, I think a, a poll like this reveals that uh, most Negroes are still following the leadership of those who feel that the problem must be worked out uh, through nonviolence. After all, uh, riots have been engaged in by a very small number of Negroes. When you think of the fact that there are some 22 million Negroes in uh, the United States. Now, when you use the word militant, I think it is possible to be militant and yet nonviolent. I, I think I'm militant. Uh, militancy means uh, persistent, uh, to be demanding, to be insistent. Uh, and I think it's possible to be militantly nonviolent. And these, I think, are going to be the leaders who will lead us through this very tense period of transition. Doctor, uh, what do you think of the approach of this uh, Sophie Carmichael and the H. Raph Brown. Well, uh, naturally, there are philosophical uh, disagreements I have with both uh, Mr. Carmichael and uh, Mr. Brown. But I always have to Did say... Did you discuss these disagreements with them? Oh, very definitely. Uh, I know them very well. Do they we agree with you? We together in the movement a good deal, and uh, I'm sure they would disagree with me on a number <laughs> of things. In other words, they're, they're not too friendly with you sometimes. Well, that's quite right. But in answering the question about them, I always go beyond them because I think they are products of the problem rather than causes of the problem. And I always have to think of the fact that it's very easy to take our visions from the causal basis, from the, the root of the problem, and see the consequence out here and begin to... Uh, major on that. Neither Rab Brown nor Stokely Carmichael created slavery. They did not create slums. They did not create unemployment or underemployment. They did not create segregated uh, qualityless schools. And they didn't start a war in Vietnam. Uh, these things uh, were started by other forces in our society. It was Victor Hugo who said once, where there is darkness, crimes will be committed. The guilty one is not merely he who commits the crime, but he who caused the darkness. 
And I think we have to admit that these men didn't cause the darkness. They are the products of the darkness, uh, how and this about, is their bitterness. How about their following? Uh, do they have a growing or important following uh, among American Negroes? Well, I would say uh, uh, among the young population, there are those who are listening more to uh, Mr. Carmichael and Mr. Brown. I wouldn't say that they have a large following. I still think it's a, a minority. But if conditions do not change, if they are not uh, made better, and if programs do not emerge that really go all out to get rid of the depth of, uh, deprivation surrounding the life of the Negro, uh, then they will probably have a greater appeal. What will this do to the power of Dr. Martin Luther King at that point? <laughs> well, I... I never like to discuss uh, Martin Luther King's influence for fear that that is uh, suggestive of, uh, of immodesty. Uh, I'm just trying to do a job, and I think it's a job that has to be done, and I'm not trying to do it merely for myself or merely for my children or merely for the Negro, but uh, for America, because I think it's true that if this problem isn't solved, uh, the soul of our nation uh, will be lost, and the only way to redeem the soul of America is to remove or to eradicate racism in all of its dimensions. Dr. King, in the past you've been accused of having communist sympathies, and since your stand has to help the communist cause, uh, aren't you concerned that, those, that these allegations will be revived? Well, they're always uh, revived. I hate that McCarthy eras tend to live with us. Uh, but I don't really worry about this. Uh, I know my own views Are you a too well. Are you a communist Absolutely sympathizer? Absolutely not. I have never been. I am sympathizer. not now, and I never will be in terms of the philosophy of communism. I happen to be a, a Baptist preacher, and I don't think you'd find too many Baptist preachers who would be communists. <laughs> I think communism is based on a metaphysical materialism and a kind of ethical relativism and a and a crippling totalitarianism and a denial of certain human freedoms that I consider basic, First Amendment uh, freedoms that I consider so basic that I could never be a communist or prefer the communist way of life. But I do feel that we've got to recognize the fact that communism is in the world and we're going to either have to have peaceful coexistence or violent co-annihilation. Dr. King, uh, we have certainly... Uh, appreciated your stopping by today. We have enjoyed this visit very much. And thank, thank you so much. Delighted. Enjoy meeting you.